Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Again, we're glad that you're with us. My name is Blake, and if you're a guest with us, a shout out to you. And I also want to clue you in a little bit about who we are as a church. One thing that we are as a church is a missions-oriented church. And today, I get to invite up a special guest with us, uh, Pastor Danny Irizarry. Uh, He is a missionary to a, a group of people in Cuba, and he sees that the gospel is transformed to a people group that need it, to individuals who don't have resources like we do. So, Faith, he's been at Cuba for over, since 1999. That's over 20 years, given his life devoting to Cuba. So welcome with me, Pastor Danny Irizarry. We are in for a treat today. Come on, church. Pastor, thank you. Good morning to all of you. It's a real joy for me to be here. I, um, I grew up in a pastoral home, and I was just realizing as I was on my way here, my church in Spanish was called Templo de la Fe which is also Faith Temple. So it's an extra joy to be in a church that has the same name, and I hope you live by faith. Amen? Um, It's not so important who I am, although when you come to a church for the first time, people are wondering, who's that person? You know, there was a a preacher that I met when I was a a teenager, and he would always say this before he would speak, and I like what what he said when he prayed. He said, Lord... Let me slip away and be unnoticed, but let your name be glorified. So it's unimportant who I am once I leave here, but hopefully the name of the Lord is lifted up high. Hopefully you're challenged in your faith walk with the Lord and your own spiritual development. And at this stage in my life as a missionary, I hope that there are some, age doesn't really matter, young and old, but I'm specifically praying for young people that would make a faith commitment to God about being open to the possibility of going anywhere where God calls you. And as a pastor's kid growing up in church, I loved church and I was a pretty decent believer. You know, I loved the Lord with all my heart. Um, but I would say definitely that my mission, my, my adventure in my walk with Christ didn't begin until I took on a full-on dive into being obedient to the call of God in my life. So I want to encourage that one person or maybe a few that are here that you've been contemplating but you're a little bit scared Trust the Lord. He's the best employer you could ever have. Amen? He's faithful. You guys sang about it today. You guys sang about his faithfulness and that he, he's running after us with love and blessing and his goodness. And that's the reality about the, the Lord the, that we serve. So let me get on to, because I have so much I want to say and I have very little time. So I'm going to try to compact that I speak very fast. My parents are originally from Cuba. I was born and raised in San Francisco, California, and I didn't know anything about Cuba until 1989, my last year of Bible college. And dad, I come from a family of six kids. We're five boys and one girl. And my dad said, hey, they opened the doors to Cuba finally. The doors had been closed for, for several decades and now the doors are open for what they call the people of the community. That means anyone that had left Cuba or descendants of Cubans like myself. 
to go back and visit their relatives for the first time in their life. So dad got us all. This was in 89, and we flew to Cuba. And even though it was a very short hop and skip away from the United States of America, it was a world of difference. So I'm going to tell you that the first, my first reception to Cuba, this is going to be hard for you to understand. So I had an, you have to understand that on my dad's side of the family, several of his relatives were very committed to the communist cause. So the, most of our family lived in the central eastern part of Cuba, but we had to land in Havana and we had an aunt that lived there and lived in a small apartment that was kind of a Russian style building modeled after these buildings that were built in Russia. And, and if, in order for you to get one of these small, I don't know what they were, 900, 800 square foot apartments, it was very small, um, you had to be a faithful communist card holding member. And so when we went, we went bearing gifts because we're going to meet our aunts and uncles, my paternal grandparents for the first time in my life. My maternal grandparents had passed away, so we didn't get a chance to meet them. So when we got out of the car and we started walking towards the building, it was almost sunset. Everyone was looking out of this, like, 12-story building. Everyone was looking out of the window because they'd never seen foreigners from the United States. So I, apparently we stood out by the way we dressed, okay? And as soon as we got out of the car, this was our reception. For, she was about from here to that white sign over there that says, Faith Changes Everything. And she said, Family, welcome! But if those gifts come from that northern imperialistic nation, those gifts do not enter my home. But you are welcome. Exactly. We were like, what just happened? You know, we, we were confused. So we put the gifts inside the car. And we went to go meet our aunt. And she was very loving and embraced us. And, you know, in our minds, well, maybe she's bipolar or something. I have no idea. It was kind of weird. It was a weird experience. But we went into her apartment, and as soon as it got dark, she said, oh, by the way, you can go to the car now and bring in the gifts. So then we started understanding, okay, so there's something going on here. It was like she had to be faithful to her calling uh, for convenience sake and to look good amongst all the people in her community, if, if you followed my drift. And so we started learning a lot of things about Cuba very quickly, and we went to our first service, but I'm not going to get into that. The first person I witnessed to was a cousin. His name was Juan Carlos. And I got to share with him the gospel of, of Christ, right? The gospel of, of who Jesus is and how much he loved us. And that, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son because he loved us. Even while we were yet sinners, you know. And he looked at me very intently. He listened to every word that was coming out of my mouth. And when I was done sharing the gospel, and he honestly said, he, he said, Danny, that is awesome what you just shared. But how do you expect me to believe this when all my life... I've been told systematically that there is no God. And it hit me. Here I was from the, totally, the total opposite spectrum. I was raised in a pastoral home. All I knew was the love and the grace of God from my childhood. And here was my first cousin who all his life he'd been systematically told in school and in work and everywhere else, there is no God. And that made an impact in my life. So we witnessed and it took a while while we witnessed, and, but I didn't see any fruit, and so we left. So I'll come back to that in a few moments, but I want to say this. When my dad came to know the Lord, one of the first things he made a commitment to was missions. And he said, I knew I wasn't called to be a missionary, but I knew that I was called to help. Can I get an amen? Some of you are called to missions, and you might be running 
the majority of you, if, you're, if you don't feel that you're called to mission, you're definitely called to send. <laughs> Where's the amen? Tell me out. Right? You know Romans 10, right? You know all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call if they've never heard? And how shall they hear unless someone preaches? And how shall they, so how will they hear? And how will someone preach them unless they are what? Unless they are sent. So my dad caught on to that. He was smart. He said, I knew I wasn't called to go to mission. But if I wasn't called, then I was going to do everything within my power to send. So now I'm going to share a verse with you that you all know very well. John chapter 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. How many of you love the Lord? Just by show of hands. All right, praise God. So you all love the Lord. And then the Lord gave us a, a mandate after he spent his lifetime on earth, Jesus, with his disciples. Of all the things he could have shared with them, of all the things he could have said, of all the things he could have underlined just before he ascends and disappears physically from them, he says in Mark 16, 15, that verse that we all know well, that we have slated, the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Let's read that again. Go into all the world, that's all, and preach the gospel to all creation. So there's no exception. There's no pre-qualification of where you're from or who you are. We've been called to share the love of God with everyone. Amen? And it's not a coincidence that he shares it just as he disappears. I've always used an illustration growing up in a, in a house of six kids we grew up in a two-bedroom apartment in the city of San Francisco the first 10 years of my life. The five boys in one room, my parents in the other. My sister had the, the dining room slash fold-out bed at night. And I still remember when my mom left the first time. I'm the fourth one of the six. And when my oldest brother was in high school, she felt brave enough. They were already pastoring. And, and my parents felt brave enough to leave all of us under the care of our oldest sibling. And his name is Jose, but in Spanish, Jose Luis. And my mom, minutes before she left, like 15, 20 minutes, you know, make sure you take care of your siblings, make sure they do what they got to do, get their homework done, blah, 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 et cetera. And then the second one, Tony, he was very noble, you know, just be yourself because he's a good kid. Uh, the third one, he was very studious, do, do your homework. And then me, I was kind of like the mischievous one. In Spanish, my name is Daniel, Daniel. And in Spanish, Daniel is equivalent to like Dennis the Menace. So they say, Daniel el travieso, right? So you behave, you listen to all your three older siblings, et cetera. I really got, you know, all the, I got the bulk of all the instructions. And then my little sister, my little brother, et cetera. So my mom leaves, but right, and this went on for 15 minutes. But as she left, she told my oldest brother, and I'll never forget it, even though it wasn't being uh, focused at me. She said, and I have the oven on. In 15 minutes, when you hear that little alarm, that means turn the oven off or the building's going to go up in flames, Remember, alarm, turn oven off. It was the, like the most important instruction was just as she closed the door. And, I, and it makes me think, just as the Lord ascends, he says, go into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature everywhere. Amen? And that includes Cuba too. Amen? So now we go back to the story. I didn't see any fruit out of all of us preaching the gospel to all of our relatives and I came back, and then later on I became a missionary. Little did I know that I would become a missionary in 99 to Cuba. So I go to Cuba, and after I was there, this young man, I'm going to show you a picture here. 
the first picture, and there's, there's a young man in the picture. His name is Norlin, N-O-R-L-E-N, Norlin. And Norlin is a young man in the middle. That's one of your pastors here in Florida, Pastor Ed Russo, if anybody knows him. And Norlin here, he approached me and tapped me on the shoulder, and he was 19 at the time. He planted his first church at the age of 17 years old. And he found me at 19. He was on his second house church plant in the country. Happened to be the town my parents were from where I had visited several years prior. We had preached, but we had seen no fruit. And he tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you missionary Danny Arizari? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, two of your uncles go to my church. And I said, what? Are you sure? I've been speaking to them for several years by then. I said, you, I was thinking he might be mistaken. But then he pulled out a picture, and in the picture, he had the small congregation standing in front of the house, and there were two of my dad's youngest brothers. And he said, not only have they accepted the Lord, I've baptized them. Well, that struck a friendship. And I've been working with Norlin since. We're going on 20 years now that we've worked together. I want you to know this because your church helps global, one of the ministries that your help, that your, your missions giving helps that sometimes you don't know about, like pastor saying you give your money, but you don't know the effect that it has. This is just one small example. And not that we deserve to know, but sometimes God's, God reminds us so that we are encouraged in our faith giving and in our commitment of our time and of our energy as well for our local missions efforts here in Fort Myers. Amen? And abroad as well. So let me tell you a little bit of what's happened with Norlin. So Pastor Norlin, we, we strike a friendship. The Lord helps him. He starts a chaplaincy ministry with two volunteers. Next thing you know, within like two years, he has 400 volunteers under chaplaincy. He, he's pastoring. He goes to his third church to start a third church plant, house churches, mind you. And, then, and I've been working with him, just trying to keep up with him, encouraging him, this young man. And seeing everything that God is doing has really even encouraged me in my own missionary walk as well. And then Norland says to me one day, you know what? I see a lot of people coming to the Lord, but we're not retaining them. You know, we're not retaining them. A lot of them make faith commitments, but we're not retaining them. So he started a ministry called Movement to Make Disciples, where he started forming leaders to go as facilitators into neighborhoods and start Bible study groups with non-believers. Make a friend with somebody in the neighborhood and say, hey, are you willing to read in your home a non-threatening environment? Read scripture with your friends and family. And only the facilitator is the only believer. And then they read portions of scripture. And as they read those portions of scripture, they start asking questions. The facilitator kind of guides them, well, if this is true, what's the implication in your life? And if that's true, well, what kind of change needs to, be, needs to happen in your life? And so on and so forth until they realize that they need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So what's happened? I want to give you just a little overview. Next photo. So he started his house church, started growing as he did this. You see the walls there that are broken. It started with just that one space. Then it went L-shaped. And then where you see where the walls are broken, those were the only two Sunday, Sunday uh, school rooms that were in the middle of the church. The doors are towards the back. But as it grew, he said, I got to get rid of the Sunday school rooms, break down. This is, they don't allow us to build new temples unless the church existed, pre-existed the revolution. So the way we get around that rule is by having house meetings. And we say they're Bible studies, but really they're churches. Okay? So it started growing. Next photo. Then he said... 
these are some of the study Bible groups that take place every week. And this started growing and growing. And the average size is about six people. Some are more, some are less. Next photo. Just, just to give you like examples of how they meet. Next photo. Beautiful tropical weather, right? I love when it's with thatched roof. It's nice. These are leaders, the facilitators with a booklet that he wrote, that Pastor Norlin wrote, um, um, on how to have these small Bible study groups, next um, discovery groups. Now, what happened is this has created such a hunger in the communities for Bibles that we started doing Bible distribution to kids, and this is what happened. Next photo. This is Pat, that's Pastor Norland sitting there with a group of kids, obviously during a school day, because that's the elementary school uniform. Those blue scarves are the, the scarves of pioneers of the revolution, just so you understand. Next photo. This is what has become, this was a Bible distribution for, for children in front of his house church. So this is in, the, if anybody's from Cuba, this is in the province of Las Tunas. Next photo. This is Pastor Norlin passing out Bible. I want you to be able to see with your eyes like the hunger that people have for the Word of God. Next photo. This is everybody showing off the Bibles they just received. Next photo. This is a great picture that somebody took where they're reaching out for one of the Bibles. I love it. I'm saying all this, and I'm showing you these pictures so that you can understand while we're sitting here in Fort Myers, there are places in Cuba right now where people are so hungry for the Word of God that when we do what we call a Bible sting operation, because these are not, like, um, approved by the authorities, so what happens is we show up at a neighborhood where we already have Bible study groups. They already know we're going to show up. He puts up a little speaker, sings one song, presents the gospel in a simple way, and it's how many came for Bibles, and people bring their friends, and there's this mob out there of a, sometimes 100, 200 people, sometimes more, as you saw in the photo. We pass out the Bibles, and within half an hour, we pick up our bags, and we're out of there for obvious reasons, okay? We don't want to be there too long. Next photo. So this was, this was his last vacation Bible school inside the house church. In a space where we probably wouldn't squeeze 50 people, they had like close to 300 kids in there, okay? Next photo. Now, I'm going to tell you this, the second part of what's happened. What you guys don't know, because this, this has been over, I'm giving you like a summary. This has been over a span of nine years, right? So now they have, this, this number is going to be real huge, like the gap, because I know they have at least 10,000 uh, Bible study discovery groups already, with an average of six people in them, but throughout the whole island. The last time I spoke to him, he said, I don't know the number, but I know we're approaching 15,000 groups. I'm not great at math, but you guys start doing the math in your head, and there's an average of six in each group, some more, some less. There, he called it movement to make disciples without knowing that it would be a movement of God. My job the last two years has been to, Danny, you need to get Bibles. I'm trying to get by. I have like 30-something thousand Bibles in Hialeah. Today, before you leave, just pray that God gives me favor to get them in a container and that the government authorities will allow me to get them into Cuba. Because this young man says to me, Danny, if I had 30,000 Bibles, it wouldn't be a matter of what I would do with them or they would be stored. I already know where all 30,000 Bibles are going to go. Because that's how many new believers are waiting for Bibles. That's not, there's more than that. 
So this is my challenge, and this morning I want you to know that you have a part in this because you, he's a global university student as of a year ago. Your church has been giving to global university, and you guys are helping train pastors like this to be even more effective if that would be possible, but it is with God. That's the whole point. So I want you to know that your giving has not been in vain. Amen? It goes above and beyond what you even imagine. You're, you're sitting here, and before I came, I doubt that any of you knew that this was going on in Cuba. This is incredible what God's doing. So as a result, he said, hey, could you, could you help me raise some money for what? For these big trucks. If any of you have ever been to Cuba, there's these massive metal trucks. They're, they look, for us, they look like they would be for moving cattle, but they put people in them. And he says, I have people that want to go to the nearest beach that's an hour or two hours away, and they want to be baptized. They're ready to be baptized. So I said, absolutely. Little did I know what, what, what the challenge was. Now I want you to see a couple more photos. He started, he invited the first couple hundred. He did 618 people came to the baptism to get baptized. Okay? Uh, another photo. This is kind of what it looks like when we go. I was just there on the third one in June. Next photo. Just so you can see a couple of what it looks like. People that are excited about having accepted Christ and now they want to follow through in obedience to what Jesus has commanded them to be baptized. He, gets, he invites all the pastors of the small cell groups to line up and get in the water and the people come and line up in front of them. Next photo. This was in June. I was there on this one. This was a small baptism of like 300 and 23. Next photo. This is the people when he says, okay, now come into the water. <laughs> Doesn't it like seem like something out of the book of Acts? You know, as I see this, my heart gets so excited and I say, God, I'm going to do whatever I possibly can, whatever, whatever you put in my hands to help this young pastor who has given his life and has said, Lord, my life belongs to you since the age of 17. And because of his faithfulness throughout the years, now we're starting to see the fruit like we've never seen it before. Amen? How many of you are going to pray for Cuba? And how many of you are going to pray for Pastor Norlin? And please, please pray, please pray that I can give more Bibles into Cuba. Will you pray with me? I need to raise funds to take Bibles into Cuba I want to I wanna just read a verse to you. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's a, it's a portion of scripture that you've all heard, but I want to read it to you. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Replied the Lord. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, yes, Lord, but who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for, every, for any extra expense you may have. Then the Lord said, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, Lord, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus looked at him, and all he said was, go and do likewise. You see, the Jews knew that the law mandated that they were to love their neighbors. Um, but, they, but they had tried to diminish the power of this biblical law by reducing the number of people who qualified as a neighbor. And I just want to remind you today, there are so many needy and hurting people, not only across the world, but in our front doorstep here in the United States of America. And we are very far from having completed our task given to us by the one we call Lord and Master of our life. Remember that many organizations say that there's over 3 billion people that have not heard the gospel. We also know that many counted as Christians in those statistics have not had an experience of a new birth. But they are labeled as Christians for the purpose of the statistics that are being taken. So I just want to encourage you today, this morning, as you leave here, to just examine yourself and just be reminded that we need to start each day with an attitude and a purpose that says, Lord, lead me to those that need an answer from you today. It's not that complicated. I don't have to give you a very deep theological sermon for you to understand this. I think we all know it in our hearts, but we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. Sometimes we get caught up in everything. I, I wrote this from, I found it like in a book like 28 years ago. I wrote it down, translated it into Spanish, used it in Cuba, and just recently, I couldn't find it in English, but I had it in Spanish, so I retranslated it back to English. So I may have lost some of it, because you know when you start translating it too much, it kind of changes. But let me read this to you, and I end with this. A man fell into a well and could not get out on his own. A counselor passed by and said, I feel your pain. Then an intellectual man passed by and said, it was inevitable that someone would fall into that well. Then a fundamentalist passed by and said, only bad people fall into wells. Calvinist passed by and said, we all deserve our wells, and that was his fate. Then a mathematician passed by and began to calculate the probabilities of falling into that particular well. Then an egocentric person walked by and said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my well. Then an optimist saw him in the well and told him, it could be worse, just as a pessimist was going on the opposite, in the opposite direction and said, it will get worse. Then Jesus passed by and saw the man in the well, knelt down on the muddy edge of the well, extended his nail-scarred hands, and helped the man out of the well. And the only thing he said to him was, go and do the same to whosoever is in need. An elder missionary to Cuba, who was a hero of the faith for me, not knowing that I would be a missionary to Cuba myself, Pen these words. You cannot be the recipient of the love of God for a lost world without sensing and responding to the demands of that same love for all men and women who are lost. When I asked you earlier, how many of you love the Lord? You guys raised your hand. And he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he said, go into all the world and preach this gospel to everyone here and abroad. Would you bow your heads right where you're at? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much 
for the privilege that you've given me once again. Not worthy to stand before your people that profess you as Lord, that love you. And Lord, I just thank you. Pray that I have been your mouthpiece this morning. I pray that people that love you would leave here energized with a new, a new level of commitment of saying, God, you know I love you. You know I've been given, giving to you, to your work here and abroad. But this morning, you've reminded me once again to be obedient, to give as you have given unto me. I have been a recipient of your love. And therefore, God, that same love demands that I give of myself, of my resources, of my energy, of my time to the projects of this church to reach this community and to reach the furthest most parts of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.